Good morning and good evening, EPL State of Mind listeners. I hope you're all ready to get into the EPL State of Mind with myself, James, co-host Sean and Kyle. We have our fifth episode uh, coming at you today. I hope you guys are ready to go. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff happened this weekend as well. A ton of controversy, uh, all kind of circulating around VAR. You're going to hear a lot of um, not nice things coming from my mouth this week, but uh, we'll try to keep it light and going. But we're going to pop right into the hot news. We got some unfortunate stuff coming uh, coming to the Spurs, not only because they lost 4-1 and absolutely got walloped, uh, but they took some two heavy injuries over the week and weekend. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier in the week amongst ourselves, but I'm sure everyone is already aware and saw the lacking of a certain someone in the back of the net for Spurs this weekend versus Leicester, and that is one Hugo Lloris. Horrible, horrible timing for the Spurs to lose out on their uh, their veteran, on their seven-season captain. You know, Hugo's a massive player for these guys. I know, Sean, you love him to death. You think he's probably better than Ederson, as well as Allison and Ramsdale and Pope. I know you just you just love him so much. So <laughs> Confirmed. So we, we, we opened up our uh, Instagram polls with a how much does this affect their European aspirations for next season. So, Sean, why don't we get your opinion on the guy real quick? How much is this going to hurt? Spurs yeah I mean listen I've said it on a couple of podcasts in the past I don't rate him super highly um, but he's still obviously a lot better than Frazier Foster and the other aspect of it is there's no one else at Tottenham that can play goalkeeper uh, besides yeah. Foster so if something happens to him we're gonna go back to that that famous YouTube video from about 10 years ago where Harry Kane was in net uh, <laughs> that could be a real possibility um but yeah, like you yeah. said, it's it's definitely a blow for Tottenham. Um, just going over the results of that poll, thirty seven percent of people felt that that would significantly hamper that their aspirations for uh, for Champions League football, and forty five percent said it was kind of touch and go. Um, but the the other guy that you have to mention is is losing Rodrigo Bentancur to an ACL. I thought he's been their best midfielder all year. So by far, for by him far. to be out, you know, for the rest of the year is a, is a huge blow as well. Absolutely. He, he's he been having a hell of a performance and to see him, I believe he scored the first and the goal of the match too. So, you know, he was off to a great start. Obviously it was, it was not a great goal. Um, wasn't pretty, but Hey, it doesn't matter how you get the ball in the back of the net. It goes in and it still counts as one. So great, great early response from Spurs, but obviously took a lot down. So a couple of things I want to talk about with, with, Larice's injury is he's out for six to eight weeks so right now it's really five to seven uh based off of what happened it's a knee injury picked up during their win uh over man city one nothing is this going to be a natural phasing out of hugo at this point he's got one year left on his contract uh he's been playing with the spurs as their captain for like i said before seven seasons he's a world cup winner he was he was in this world cup and unfortunately as he said it himself he sucks at pk's so he drinks himself there, so they took the L. But he just turned 36 in December, and he's the third oldest keeper, used keeper, in the, in the, in the league. And his contract, as I said before, is, it expires in June 2024. Um, the only other keepers that are older than him are Lucas Fabianski, 37 years of age and six months, with West Ham's number one. And then just because of the, re the recent acquisition, uh, from Forrest, it's Kalar Neves, who's 36 years, one month, and 21 days. 
which is 11 days older than Hugo. So, guys, is this Hugo's last season? Are we going to come in hot and heavy with someone for a brand-new young gun in the back of the net? Maybe Ederson, Kyle, with uh, Man City going down that's shitter right now? I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> I think it all depends on how this season goes. You know, they, they lost their captain. They lost their goalie, but more so they lost their captain. And this week, if you, if you actually watch the game, they had two egregious errors trying to clear the ball up the middle. Both intercepted, both led to goals. So, you know, you lose your captain, you start making errors. Luckily enough for them, they do have a secondary captain on the team in Harry Kane. He's got the team's respect. He's got the league's respect. So I think you can transition into a Harry Kane captaincy pretty easily. But you got to be careful because you can't give it to someone like Maguire. You know, that, that guy <laughs> yeah. will ruin your team. Yeah. So I think if, if they start falling apart, then maybe you got to go back to him. Get yourself a goalie captain that commands respect in the defense and will yell at the defenders and tell them to stop making errors. So, you know, you do well without him. To maybe it's time to transition into a younger goalie that you start prospecting for a couple of years. You do shite without him. Time to bring him back, even if he is old. Sean, what do you think about Jordan Pickford from Everton? If Everton's in this relegation battle and, and they they see themselves go down, you know Jordan's not going to stick around. He's the English uh, he's the English number one, arguably maybe for the next international tournament. But that could be a transition. There's a hole here. Yeah, no, I think that's <clears throat> that's a pretty good shout. Um, if, if you if you just look at it, obviously, like you mentioned, he's you know Lloris being thirty six, he's probably on his last legs. You know, maybe he ha he does have another year before they phase him out. But you know, very similar to the Ramsdale situation when he went down with with Bournemouth, um, Arsenal jumped on it and picked him up. I could see a similar yep. thing happening with Tottenham. Uh, the other guy, <clears throat> excuse me, the other guy that I would. Uh, keep an eye on is David Raya at Brentford. Mm -hmm, I thought he's been really good this season. Obviously, Brentford's had a really good season as well, but his distribution is strong, um, and he's only 27, which for a keeper, uh, you know, as we as evidenced by the other three guys we mentioned before, you, you can get 10 years out of him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Pickford would make a lot of sense if Everton go down. If they don't, maybe they go after David Raya at Brentford. Yeah, great shout, great shout. So, speaking about who's next in line, we had a, another sacking this weekend uh, after Nathan Jones lost again uh, for Southampton's after 14 matches. Um, Sean, what uh, I know you kind of had the insight of, of coaches. You kind of called that, um, you know, Everton with Sean Dyche came in at the right time. Who's going to be Nathan Jones' successor? Yeah, this one is a lot more difficult to predict who it's going to end up being. Um Interestingly enough, one of the rumored favorites right now is Jesse Marsh, who just was recently mm -hmm. let go by Leeds, uh, which would obviously be interesting. Maybe build a, you know, a United States of Southampton? Uh, question mark. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, um, pretty disgusting tenure from Nathan Jones. He had the fifth shortest managerial tenure in ma in Premier League history, um, and you also have to keep in mind a month of his tenure was during the World Cup when they had no games. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So it really could have even been even you know in a normal season he probably would have been sacked in two months or less. Um, yeah. You know he he was doing well at Luton Town. They're actually in the the playoff position in the EFL Championship right now without him. But you know one win, seven losses in the league. Uh, they've they lost 
as Kyle mentioned before, 2-1 at the weekend to Wolves, who didn't even – they were down They were down, they a, were man. down a man. They were down a man for 75 minutes of that game. Yeah. Yep. And and Southampton was up. They scored five minutes before the guy before Lamina was red carded, and they still lost two one. So, I mean that just sums it up. If you watch, I mean if you have twenty minutes, fifteen minutes to kill, look up his interviews on YouTube. They are so bizarre and so baffling. He just was constantly saying really weird stuff. Um, so I mean I actually uh, work with a guy who's a big Southampton fan. And he's been pining oh. for him to have been sacked for the last, yeah. I don't know, three weeks, probably basically since we came back from the World Cup break. So, um, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting, though, to see who steps into that spot. Jesse Marsh, like we mentioned, obviously will be one of the candidates rumored. And then uh, you always got to throw out when you're in a relegation battle, big Sam Allardyce, right? You know, mm. just a classic survival manager. I mean, yeah, he's I getting mean, up there in age, but it could be. Was he ever at Everton? Is that big Sam yeah, I'm he thinking was, of? He, Yep, he was yep. he was at Everton. He was at West Brom. I mean, basically, when you when you're in a relegation battle, and you don't know who to turn to, Big Sam's your man. <laughs> well, they're all dropping like flies right now. We've had what three in the past three weeks. First with mm-hmm. your boy Kyle Frank Lampard, and then we had uh, uh, R.I.P. And yeah, then we had and- Yank Lampard. At, yeah. uh, that's what that's what Leeds fans were calling Jesse Marsh Yank. Oh. Yank, the Yankee version. I don't, we don't take offense to that at all at the EPL state of mind. Of course not. But um, and now we have now we got Jones. So I, I don't know if I had to put one on. Can we even predict maybe the next one to go? Moyes, if if West Ham kind of keep going, what about Wolves? No, well, Wolves just got a new manager not too long ago in Lobotegi, and you know he's yeah, got two wins true. in a row. I think he's okay. Um, I think I think that'll be it. To be honest, in terms of of sackings unless somebody really falls off but yeah i guess Moyes is definitely on the hot seat yeah absolutely absolutely that arteta guy has dropped a couple points as of late (laughs) (laughs) well enough of the coach talk we're gonna pop into actually that's a lie our next segment which we're gonna swing into right after a short break we'll bring up uh what's next for jesse march What is next for Jesse March? He got out of one hot seat, possibly to get into another one over at Southampton. We don't really know. His last seven games with Leeds were completely winless. His last win was a 4-3 victory versus Bournemouth, and that was before the World Cup. Uh, He was in a lot of hot water before the World Cup, too. People were really calling for his head. Uh, But, you know, once they threw him that lifeline of Bournemouth and they won, they said, why don't we keep him around for a little bit longer? Let's see if we can back them up in the transfer window in January, which they did, which obviously didn't last very long. RIP United States of Leeds. But what's next for him? We got a couple things out there. Sean already mentioned maybe Southampton. I've heard some buzzing that he's already worked with a lot of the Premier League players. He has a lot of good higher level development skills. Maybe he's there for the U.S. men's national team. Is he international caliber? Sean, Kyle, what do you guys think? Absolutely not. No. No, no, no. Not when you lose the amount of games he's lost in the Premier League, the way he's lost those games. We need an icon for the USMNT. I'm talking Tim Howard. I'm talking Landon Donovan. One of those guys. Throw them up there with their abilities. Don't even make them a head coach yet. Just put them on the team. Let them get integrated with the players, with the system, and then promote them. 
We need someone that commands respect. All right. I, I would love to see an icon from the United States men's national previous teams come in and lead the helm. But I think maybe there's some other options that are worth, you know, exploring. And Sean, I know you might have an idea too on who, who should lead the United States men's national team. Yeah. I mean, I definitely understand where Kyle's coming from about, you know, a former player. I do think they need someone with um, experience in international football, though, that's kind of established themselves. It would mm-hmm. be a long shot, but maybe Jergi Lowe, who used to be the uh, the Germany manager when they won the World Cup about a, a decade ago, um, most famously known for uh, scratching and then sniffing his fingers after scratching his arse. Um, <laughs> but I do think that that Marsh would not be a good fit right now, at least um, for the USMNT. I think his style of play is really difficult to just like pick up for, um, for international play. You're only with those guys, what, probably mm-hmm. a month out of the entire year, maybe a little bit more in, you know, uh, international tournament season, maybe a little bit less than other years. I think, you know, the way he plays, you need to have a lot of experience in it. And obviously, you know, Aronson, McKenney and Adams will have that experience, but the rest of the squad will not. Um, another guy I think to keep an eye on is uh, Jim Curtin, who I obviously just con- kind of contradicts what I just said, but um, Jim Curtin at Philadelphia Union, he obviously led them to yep. the MLS Cup Finals. I think he's done really well with youth, youth development uh, with Brendan Aronson's younger brother, Paxton. Um, they also have a couple of other young young guys, and I think um, when we get to the 2026 World Cup, we will we want more guys breaking through more youth, youth players or, or younger guys. So I think that's a name to keep an eye on as well. But um, from Marsh's perspective, I think, you know, it'd be cool to see him at Southampton. I think they would be somewhat, you know, it's a very young team, especially in the starting 11, but a lot of energy, a lot of pace, dynamism in the midfield, especially. So they don't, he's not a terrible fit there. Um, I don't know if he keeps them up, but if, you know, by some miracle, they they decide to keep him. If they do, you know, I think they're going to go down. I think that's pretty much confirmed yeah, at this inevitable. point. I, don't, I mean, Jesus Christ himself couldn't save them. No, um, I don't know, and I kind of yeah. with you on that one. Yeah, but but so then at that point, then do you start looking forward and thinking, you know, how do we build to to come back next year? Um, kind of a sing- similar discussion that you and I had about Marcelo Bielsa. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Everton job, does he does he want to take that job and work with the young guys at Southampton? Um, you know, go down and then build back up and try to come right sh- straight back um, mm-hmm. next season. That'll be interesting. But um, I'd love to see Marsh get that job. It'd be cool. Um, I th- I do think that it was time for him to go at Leeds, but maybe another crack in the prem. Who knows? Yeah, it would be nice to have uh, someone representing the states still over there and I think March you know for what it's worth with a struggling Leeds team already did did his best I think he definitely didn't do well and I think he probably what would have been best for Leeds is if they sacked him earlier I think if they did it before the World Cup it probably would have had a a good shot for them but I would like to see March stick around a little bit longer into some higher level soccer so hopefully we see that someone who I think yeah yeah, go ahead sorry uh sorry for cutting you off but I actually just uh, looked it up. He just interviewed for Southampton's uh, managerial opening an hour ago. So. Oh, perfect. Well, there you go. Sean, you, you, you kind of know what you're talking about every once in a while. I don't know yeah, what you're, you're thinking about supporting the team that you support, but you're, you're pretty knowledgeable in soccer <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's generality. But talking about still wanting to see people stick around at the high level of soccer, 
Aubameyang. This is a quick one. You know, Chelsea, with their mega million spending spree, has uh, decided to cut Aubameyang from their 25-man Champions League roster. So those who don't know, uh, you have two opportunities to set a roster for uh, for for the Champions League, one in the first half of the season and one in the second half, and you can only have 25. Between the first one and the second one, it's you have the January transfer window, and you're only allowed to register three new players from your January transfer window. But you do have to drop three players from your first set. So unfortunately, uh, for three of the Chelsea men, including Aubameyang, uh, Enzo, Fernandez, uh, Mudrick, as well as the Loney, João Felix, were selected above uh, Aubameyang and two others. Um, you know, it was very difficult choice probably for Chelsea because they brought in 16 new players and at least eight of them had the potential to do it. But uh, Aubameyang is not one of them. I don't see him recovering from this. I personally have a little uh, vendetta against him. I appreciate what he did for us in the beginning at Arsenal. I do not appreciate the way the terms ended at Arsenal. Um, of course, he, would, he went, went on to Barcelona and picked up pretty much wh- right where he left off in stride during the time at Arsenal, but we got a couple rumors of Aubameyang coming over to MLS where there's a couple ideas from Atletico, uh, from Barcelona, excuse me, Barcelona that he might end up over there again. Kyle, try to defend this man and, and change my mind. Oh, very easily. It's Pierre Aubameyang. He's the man. The guy has unbelievable pace. He's got a decent shot, according to FIFA at least. So, you know, I, I have I have hopes for him. You got a contradicting manager, though. So like you said earlier, you know, he was left out of the squad to bring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in an interview Friday, Graham Potter told the media, I guess, that his time at Chelsea is not over. There's a place for him, and he's going to fit the system. So I'm not really sure what Potter's doing. It might be a mind game. Like, you know, we're going we're gonna to drop you down a little bit, make you work a little harder, and then come on back. But that's Bobby not the player. Is the one who's gonna really grind down and work yeah. harder when you know adversity is at that's his. That's exactly doorstep. right. I mean, this is yeah. a man who went to Barcelona, and his first thing he did was drop six and a half million dollars on cars. <laughs> He's a flashy guy. He wants the spotlight. That's for damn sure. So, I think LAFC they were the ones that offered him a contract. They're trying. They're gonna try to replace Gareth Bale. That's you know that's a hole they're gonna have. He scored a game tire in stoppage time to help them move on in the tournament it's it's a hole they need to fill so they're gonna try for Aubameyang I could absolutely see this as his next move come on over to the states where you'll actually be a superstar again Mm -hmm. get your cars you know get your house get your pool get whatever you need and then live in the spotlight which is exactly what he'd do in LA so I think it's going to be a matter of a little Ronaldo to Man U type thing where he wants to leave and then he's just going to do what he can to get the manager to let him go yeah I mean, you spoke about Graham Potter saying that there's still a place for him in, in his system. And unless his system is actually rostering a whole field of forwards and wingers, I don't know where he would go with, with the options that he has. It's just not, it's not in the cards. I would like to see him come to the MLS because I think his, his elite status is, is done. Uh, but I would also wouldn't mind catching him in the States playing some games because he is still a good player he's still one of the best strikers that have probably come through Dortmund uh and then went through on to you know kind of feed into the English Premier League at Arsenal yeah so, one of the best strikers Arsenal's ever seen 
We got a couple good ones, and he was up there for for a little bit in his tenure here. Absolutely, he was, um, you know, he was our leading goal scorer for the 2019. 2020 season i want to say the covid season he was he kind of held us together a little bit there and then fell apart after that um but you know he was the captain for a while i don't know if anyone saw um the all or nothing documentary but that had a nice little insight into it they didn't go too deep and dive into the relationship between him and Mikel arteta uh but you know i think the mls would be the right move for him there for those who don't know Aubameyang is one of the most flashy players you'll ever see very self-centered, very about himself, making him a captain of a team, I think is a big mistake. Yeah, moving forward. I mean, like he was, he, he led by example early on in Arsenal. So I think, I think the captaincy did well for him in the beginning. Um, but we'll see where his future kind of takes him. So I'm excited to see what that is and what is in line for him next. In line for us next, we're going to go over the big games of the weekend and kind of what we are you know, excited about and a lot of controversy, like I said, behind uh, all stemmed from a three letter word that I think is going to have to be put up right next to uh, he who shall not be named. So we're going to go on right after this break. Off to our first highlight, which we have was an exciting 1-1 draw. It was West Ham versus Chelsea. You know, it's tough to get into a stadium where your fans aren't behind you. And I feel like London Stadium, if you listen just to the atmosphere of it, was a lot quieter than I think West Ham probably could have done. Um, You know, it was extremely quiet for the entire game until the last 10 minutes where they had a potential go-ahead goal and it it was ruled out. And I think if the crowd was behind them a little bit more, it would have helped them out, really put some more, you know, wind under their wings. Uh, but I don't want to start off with that towards the end of the game. I kind of want to start off with this Chelsea team coming into form. Yeah, they have spent a ton of money, but it's only two games in with a with a, almost a brand new roster. They did manage to put one up this uh, this game, and was it beautiful? I mean, Sean, take us through Enzo to Zhao, two of their, their their best, I will say their best signings so far, and and getting them the go-ahead goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, they basically have signed an army of new players, but the two that they, you can say with certainty they absolutely got right are Enzo Fernandez and Zhao Felix. Um, your boy Mudrick wins the ball back high up the pitch. Gets it onto uh, Enzo's foot, and then the, that's just a world-class pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and great run from Felix as well to be able to time that, to, to stay onside. If you watch it back kind of in slow motion, he hesitates right before Enzo gets on the ball to keep himself onside, and then he's clean through. Um, all it takes is just a you know delicate little volley into the corner. That was gorgeous. Um, but at the end of the day, Chelsea just doesn't create enough. It's the same thing mm-hmm. we keep seeing over and over. And I think at some point, you got to look at Graham Potter and say, "Come on, man! Like, obviously, it's going to take time for you know new players to gel." Um, I think five or six of the you know the guys that started were new were new signings. But yep. it's 
it's not enough. I mean, West Ham is a you know solid team, but that's still a team that Chelsea should be beating. Absolutely. I mean, at one point, and like you said before, you look at Graham, you're like, you, you just bought an army. You have all the ammunition you need. You have the talent on the wings. You have the talent up top now. You have the statue and anchor that is Enzo in the middle. Where's the creativity? If you look at the Chelsea possession, again, they had 72% possession. The last eight minutes were pretty heavily in Chelsea's half with West Ham trying to capitalize on the goal that was disallowed, try to get that momentum going. But if you look at Chelsea, they play so slow and they have such quick, creative players. I mean, where is the, the, the are you not allowed to have the freedom? Is there something going on in training where Potters, we need to have 10,000 passes a game. Pass accuracy always has to be high, but we need it 95%. Where's the flair that you saw in Mudrik and brought him in for 90 million euros? Where is the flair from uh, Sterling? Like He is a great player that has not seen the pitch. Raheem Sterling has flair. He's got speed. He can take the ball. He can drive up the pitch. If you look at their overall percentage and their passage uh, passing, Chelsea had a total of 654 passes. And almost half was in their own half. 289 was in their own half. That's 44.19% of all passing. And I know a possession-heavy team is going to be possession-heavy typically in their half to swing, the, to swing the play, go from one side, work it back, hold the possession. But if you're a team that has 72% possession and you have only scored, I don't know, three goals over the last five games, which is probably being handsomely generous for Chelsea. But you have to be able to use that possession dangerously. You have to have the runs. You have to have the dangerous penetrating passing. You can't just keep working it back around. And unfortunately, that's that's what Chelsea did. Their, their pass accuracy was up from last game. Last game versus Fulham was 82%. And this game was 92% accuracy, which is which is a great spot to live in. You're not turning the ball over, but it's it it's passing to pass the ball. I, I you have to have a little additional flair. Um, you know, you see anything of you know a spark out there, Sean, on that game? I didn't really see too much of a spark from him. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the culprits of kind of what you're talking about, where they really slow down play, is Kukurea. Um, and you've brought it up a couple of times in previous podcasts. He's not not playing with a lot of confidence right now, but there was mm. multiple times where I saw Mudrick make a run in that game and Kukurea just either look him off or play a sideways pass or backwards pass, and it's like, dude, you know, just give – it's like we talked about with Holland a little bit. Give Mudrick a chance. We know he's got the pace. Just give him – you know, play a couple balls in behind and, and let him run into it. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You lose possession – we established last week, possession is overrated. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's tough, but you, you got to give it to the Hammers as well. I mean, Chelsea's not taking advantage of the weapons they have. Okay, that's shame on Chelsea. But then you go on the other side of the coin, and West Ham were taking advantage of the possession that they had. So they led in the XGs, as we love so much. So they didn't lead by much, but they had 1.23 expected goals to Chelsea's 1.18. And they only had 28% possession. I mean, a lot of the teams, like you said, it's overrated. And we're seeing the, the team with the smaller percentage being more dangerous with it. You know, 
It was a great comeback goal. It showed a lot of a lot of heart with that. And unfortunately, you know, they had a goal towards the end that was offsides that called back. But they probably should have deserved it. You know, by the by the pace of the game, it was no by no means against the run of play. Uh, so I, I would have liked to see West Ham kind of take a peg off of Chelsea's new um, you know acquisitions again, and then just get a little bit more momentum going forward from here. Just a crazy stat. For talking about the passing and the possession, West Ham had 241 passes, and Chelsea had, as I said before, 654. You know, wow. it's just crazy. It's it's a that's a absurd, you know, delta between the two of them. The other thing I just wanted to mention about this game, obviously, there was some controversy in the 88th minute. Um, mm. I believe oh, yeah? it was a sh- yeah where where uh, Thomas Suchek went da- went to ground and had his hand extended from his body. And it hit him. It got reviewed, but they decided it wasn't it wasn't a penalty. I mean, to be honest, man, I don't even know what what constituted a handball anymore. Um, <laughs> I know Kyle was raging the week before about uh, the, the Romero handball or or what wasn't called a handball. This one to me was even more controversial. Oh, I thought yeah, I thought for sure it was going to be a penalty. But while we're on the uh, the subject of controversial VAR decisions, why don't we uh, hop into Arsenal Brentford? I'm sure you got a couple of things to say. How yeah, I do. Our, um, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. You're good, James. <laughs> how long? How long do we have? And uh, what's the title of this podcast again? Can we change it to James blows his own head off? This is absolutely <laughs> crazy. This is absurd. All right, immediate thought. Probably the luck, the unluckiest lucky result, because it was a pretty heavy Brentford, um, you know, game in terms of uh, danger. Right. So in the first uh, couple minutes of the game, actually five minutes in the game, Ivan Tony, who we knew, like you said, uh, Kyle, last week is a dangerous player. Um, don't put a bet slip in his hand, but you can put the ball at his foot and he's going to <laughs> take advantage. Five minutes to the game, Ivan Tony breaks down the right side of the pitch and crosses the ball, a beautiful ball across on the six. And is essentially a sitter for Brentford's Rico Henry. He's uh, at playing a, a kind of a left wing back, and they were doing a 3-5-2. So he's kind of playing in a left wing back position. And he, he couldn't even hit the broadside of the barn if he was trying to do on that one. That was a atrocious finish that really would have put the Bees, I think, in a, in a more dominating position. I think five minutes in, the Bees would have taken off. 25 minutes into the game, Ivan Tony again. Gorgeous, I guess kind of gorgeous shot. I mean, it's rattling the crossbar, but he really should have been done, he really should have done better with it. He had essentially the whole entire right side of the net. You had Zinchenko, all five foot, seven of them. And then you had Ramsdale on the other side because he's got to play the cross. But Tony should have definitely put that away. So right off the bat, Arsenal should be down to nothing. They should. Luckily, our possession kind of levels out towards halftime. And uh, we kind of, we kind of, bring it to him towards the second half. Trossard gets his first goal. That was also a sitter. He came in, I believe, on the 64th minute for uh, Martinelli, who's had a bit of a dry spell lately. So I love the the transfer window pickup of Trossard even more. Uh, it just shows if it's not working on the side for Martinelli, who has the capability of being a star, um, we can throw Trossard in. He's a veteran. He can do it. He's capable of it. So I'm okay with subbing you know, Martinelli out. Martinelli just signed a new contract too, so he's sticking around for a while. All right. So then the real 
fun and games happen. Less than 10 minutes later, the bees equalize on an outrageous malfunction of the VR system. I mean, this thing was in place to eliminate human error. And I don't think you could have had more of a human error than what Lee Mason did to us. A second time. A second time. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I put on a pair of pants. You do that because it's normal. You do it every single day. As a VAR referee, it is so absurdly normal to throw down lines. It is absolutely insane. To be honest with you, Lee Mason might not have had pants in the VAR booth because I don't trust his well-being by any means. Huh. What, what to break down in this whole entire situation is there was two offsides that were reviewable in this one. The first offside was a no call and it's objective, right? So Lee Mason actually has to use his uh, experience and his forethought of what's going on. Is the attacker inhibiting uh, Gabriel's advantage or disadvantage to attack the ball on the cross? He's clearly, uh, the attacker is clearly in an offsides position and he possibly is blocking. I can understand why this one is difficult to call because it's objective. Like I said, it's not black and white. He didn't receive the ball. So fine, whatever. But what I don't agree with is the way that they looked at this. You should be working the goal. You should be working the review from goal back, right? So they were looking at the buildup. But if you look at where the actual goal occurred from Ivan Tony, uh, all the way from Christian, what, what's his last name? Uh, Norgard. Norgard. Yeah. Hey, go ahead and try, James. You got this. Yeah. No, I, I'm looking for it on my notes. I don't see it. Uh, Christian Nogard. And he's off sides. On what planet is the second one acceptable? I forgot how to draw lines. That's essentially what they came out and said. That's an okay excuse for a three-year-old trying to fill out a coloring book and ignoring all of the borders. But your sole job as the VR referee is to draw the fucking lines. It's so simple. You could get a chimpanzee to be taught and put down a blue and a red line. This is absurd. It's also Lee Mason's second error, error on VAR against Arsenal. The first one was against Man United when he called, he asked for a review of a foul that apparently Martin Udegaard had on Christian Eriksen, which was not, I don't think it was enough to do it, but it's absolutely absurd. Ivan Tony and Lee Mason were in the same locker room, must have been before the game, accepting bets because this is the only reasonable thing that I can actually see happening. It's just absurd. It's unbelievable. You can't have this type of error happen this, this far into the season with the title contender. It's absurd. You take your time. You look at the second one. It's absolutely, absolutely crazy. I mean, I just, I, I don't know how to justify anything moving forward if this is going to come back and haunt Arsenal. Let's, you know, let's take a, let's take a breather and kind of, kind of settle back down. You got something to say now, Sean? Maybe help me out. I mean, I'll take over for a second. There were uh, three standout players on Arsenal for me, and then one on, what was it, Brentford? So we're looking at Odegaard, Saka, and Trossard. Odegaard and Saka speak for themselves. It's just fun watching them play, you know, like everything they do. Odegaard specifically, everything he does is clean, whether it's a shot off of a half volley that he puts his laces through or a ticky-tocky pass through the legs of a defender. It's just fun to watch. Uh, Saka, he's just doing Saka things. I won't even get into that. Just know he played fantastically. Mm. 
and Trossard. That was his third goal in his last three Premier League matches against Brentford, even dating back to Brighton last year. He scored in both of those, both of which were winners, one 2 nothing, one one nothing. Hmm. So he's he's been a menace for Brentford for two years now. So it's, it's nice to see him stick with that and <laughs> stick it to Brentford. Gotta love that. <laughs> buzz, buzz. <laughs> and then we got Ivan Tony. You know, he should have had a hat trick. I, he scored. He tied it up late in the game. I still think that was a pathetic performance from Ivan Tony. He should have had a hat trick. He hit the post off of a sitter open net, opened his foot, and angled it up for some reason. Uh, a well-placed cone would have scored that goal. <laughs> so he's not getting any love from me for this game. Oh, man. It, it, it was it – an, and the craziest part – is I didn't even really see the offsides. I'm, I'm judging Lee Mason pretty harshly, but obviously he should be judged harshly on an atrocious um, review failure. But, you know, seeing it live, I didn't see. I can't tell. But that's why you have the lines, right? You, that's why you take the time. You, you, you stop the game after the goal. You look at it. It's just absurd. I, I missed it live. That's acceptable because, you know, obviously I'm not in the VAR booth with a thousand different angles going on. But it's absurd. And, you know, these two points, these two drop points could have a massive implication to the title race. I mean, you see we were playing against Man City on Wednesday. If Man City were to be Arsenal, they go top of the table. Yeah, well, we have one game in hand, and it's against Everton, but we lost Everton. Yes, it's at Emirates Stadium, and I think we'll beat Everton at our home field. But this is, this is a big decision, and they should have taken the extra two minutes and looked at the actual issue. And it would have been solved if they worked backwards from the goal. Do I think Lee Mason should be fired? Absolutely. I think Lee Mason should be put in jail and his cell, <laughs> his cell, his cell should be lined with Pete Mondrian paintings. And if you're not familiar with those paintings, <laughs> it's nothing but squares and lines. And I think he could learn a lot from art history. So that's all I have to say about Lee Mason and the VAR in this game. But I know we have another one to talk about. And it's almost as equally as embarrassing for VAR. Brighton versus Crystal Palace. Another 1-1 draw with this controversy coming in the very beginning of the game, which would have given Brighton the lead uh, by our boy, who I know how to pronounce very well, is Estupinian. And he was going to have his first Premier League goal for Brighton. He, uh, he finished a very neat finished to the right side of the net, and then was ruled offsides for VAR. Now, Sean, what happened in this VAR? Yeah, um, it, it's close. It's definitely close, but I think there's almost, there needs to be a, an adjustment at the end of this season about VAR where they just say tie goes to the runner if it was, you know, fractionally close, which they were supposed to do already. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Thicker they lines, right? Came that out, was their the solution. PGMOL, right. The PGM, <laughs> something like that, um, who's responsible for, for officiating the Premier League, came out and said, yeah, we, we screwed this one up. Um, and the VAR official, John Brooks, was taken off VAR duty for the Merseyside Derby this afternoon and then also for the Arsenal City game, mm -hmm. which I'm sure is a relief to you. They'll probably have Lee Mason do it now. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, that one was really, really, really bad. Um, and no one in the Premier League this season has been hurt more by VAR decisions than Brighton. Um, they've had seven calls go against them and only one go their way this year. Um, 
currently, I looked it up before there was an article. Um, if VAR didn't exist, they'd be level on points with Newcastle in fourth. So, um, you know, that's crazy. We're talking about Conference League potentially versus them being in the Champions League. That's a difference huge. of, you know, it's $60 huge. million dollars in revenue, maybe more. Probably, yeah, absolutely. First time in uh, Brighton's history they would be going over the Champions League too, to European soccer, right? I think right. we were talking about that last time. So that's that affects not only, as you can tell, the players, but the fans. We take it extremely personally. So VAR, get your shit together. Piss That's off. all I can say. Piss off. <laughs> Other than that, yeah. it was a pretty good game. Crystal Palacers, Brighton. We like both of the teams. I know you're a big Crystal Palace fan, Sean. I really enjoy seeing the gulls fly. Other than the disastrous error from the Brighton goalkeeper who just came off of his sixth, I believe, clean sheet, uh, where he, he went up. Didn't see a lot of action out the game. Apparently had really cold and slippery gloves. Just dropped right in front of the Crystal Palace player for an easy tap-in header. Um, other than that, I think we we highlighted Sully March again with an unbelievable performance. Uh, Matoma even put in a really good performance too, and I don't see him slowing down. Overall, it was a very exciting fraud. game. And fra- Matoma? Matoma's a fraud. Sully March is better. <laughs> First of all, I just want to—I do want to say, just because we brought it up, uh, March and Stupinian were the two best players on the pitch in this game. Mm-hmm. So Stupinian was had his goal chalked off in the first half, but his didn't crossing. let it affect him. He was still getting getting in, you know, getting forward, and he sets up the the Sully March goal for uh, for Brighton, which put them ahead initially uh, before the, that error that you mentioned by Robert Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were excellent in this game. March was turning. I think it was my boy. Uh, Tyrick Mitchell inside and out for Palace. I mean, I thought March was probably the best player on the field in this game, but Estupinian close behind him. Should have had a goal and an assist. Was robbed by VAR, but um, if you're a Brighton fan, I still think you have to be encouraged. One thing I did want to mention, Brighton has not beaten Crystal Palace in 1,437 days. Unbelievable. Which, this is supposed to be a rivalry between the two teams. That spans over seven matches. Brighton's actually outshot Palace. 127 to 40 in those games and palace has three wins and four draws and brighton has nothing that's crazy i didn't really know this was a rivalry until i heard it because i was kind of weird i mean crystal palace is a london team and then brighton's on the southwestish side yeah right yeah, he's on, yeah, on, the, they're coast. on the coast and I, I was like okay fuck it yeah why not let's let's make them hate each other sure other than that, I, I wanted to say real quick, McAllister, if you're a Brighton fan, you got to be a little upset too. He had a couple really good opportunities. He had an open header that he could have put away for the win, I think, in the 83rd minute. So it's not to not to say that the ball was trying not to lie because the ball doesn't lie. It's going to give you an opportunity if something happens to you, and unfortunately you have to capitalize on those things. But we live and we move on, and we move on to Man United versus Leeds. <clears throat> so we had a... Two Man United versus Leeds matches. Unfortunately for Sean, his lock of the week was the midweek performance, which we had Man U winning, and uh, the Leeds were managed to go up 2 nothing. and then Man United actually showed a lot of integrity, a little heart, a little grit, and came back to win. Uh, I'm sorry, came back to tie 2-2, and then they said, we'll do you one better, and they won 2 nothing the next time. Who else is going to break a deadlock than... Marcus, the savior himself, Rashford. You know, he broke the deadlock 
uh, later on in the game in the 80th minute, just when you thought we'd get another kind of goose egg, goose egg real, uh, result from, uh, from this matchup. But I mean, it was, it was a fantastic setup from Luke Shaw. And I know, I think Kyle, you were, you were talking a lot about this game and, and wanted to get a couple stats in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's a battle of Man U, playing Man U almost. If they're on their game, they can win. And they showed it at the end of this game. I thought it was phenomenal coaching by Ten Hag. When you have both of your subs having the highest player ratings of everyone on the field for your team, you know you're doing well as a manager. That was a genius substitution. So he put in Martinez and Garnacho. Garnacho was criticized during the week for his performance against Leeds. And he shows up and scores in the 85th minute. And the dude is 18 years old. He's got yeah. class. He's got like composure, I guess you could call it. Absolutely. So, I mean, when you look at how people respond to the critics, you got people like Harry Maguire. I'm going to go with the worst case scenario. People shit on him for good reason, and he's visibly trying to do too much afterwards, and he leads to more errors. Then you got the other side. You got people like Firmino on Liverpool. When he's getting hyped up by his fans, he's unstoppable. He's got mm -hmm. confidence. He's a phenomenal striker, but it's kind of fan-based. When his fans aren't with him, it's, it's a different player in my mind. But mm -hmm. to see an 18-year-old in Garnacho performing at a high level three or four days after being criticized by all the media, it's, it's a sign of maturity. <laughs> sign of maturity. There we go. <laughs> but like James said, Rashford, he's on a tear. Uh, David De Gea, another, another big error that game, but he got away with it. So mm -hmm. he's up to second place in the Premier League for most clean sheets with nine. That's an impressive stat. Yeah, right behind Pope. Right yeah. behind Pope. And, I mean, what Newcastle's doing is just historic for that club right now. Newcastle's on yeah. a run. It is. But I thought Leeds played well. I thought they, they held them for the most part. It was just unfortunate what happened. I personally thought they played better than they did during the draw, even. Agreed. So, yeah, yeah they created a I lot got. of chances. They just didn't convert them in the first half. That guy, uh, don't even ask me his first name, like Crescencio. But Somerville, uh, yep, the winger, yep. I thought he was really good for them. Um, you mentioned it. There was a couple of errors both by De Gea and by Maguire in that first half, and Leeds just didn't punish him. That ended up being the difference in this match. Um, you know, let, let United hang around. Rashford right now, I mean, what can you say? That guy is unbelievable. I would not want to get in the way of Rashford for anything soccer-related or outside of soccer-related. The guy is just going to— Feeding it's, it's children. All, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he beefed up for this season, too. Yeah, my God, he's he's really. We, we talked about William from Fulham, Fulham uh, being revitalized, but Rashford, man, really came and it was completely revitalized as well. So love to see it. He's a great guy off the pitch too. You know, he does a lot of community work around the uh, the area. So it's nice to see him getting uh, what I think uh, karma is giving him what he deserves. Uh, a couple notable results this weekend. Newcastle, as we were talking about before, doing an incredible run, but they dropped points against Bournemouth with a 1-1 tie. No one really saw that coming. We mentioned earlier before, Wolves came back with 10 men on to win 2-1. And then, uh, like we said, just now, Willian scoring uh, to uh, put the Fulham above um, uh, with a W there. So we're going to get into the segment four, which is the look ahead, where we're going to talk about Kyle crying on Wednesday and James being happy. We're going to talk about Arsenal versus Man City and what is possibly the title run in a nutshell. 
we need like some insane like gong music or something like there's a massive drum roll because i think the whole first half of the season was leading up to this moment right now james versus kyle arsenal versus man city david versus goliath this is this is it this is it i think obviously we're gonna win probably 2-1 i'm gonna say and uh i think holland scores the first goal and we come back and we win 2-1 but it is sad because Man City has won the last 10 Premier League fixtures against the Gunners and are currently favored to win this game. So it's, a, it's already a little bit of an uphill battle. We're in coming into a bit of a rut here with our last uh, three winless. We had two losses uh, in a row, one to Man City, one to Everton, and then obviously the tie over the weekend. And it seems like Man City has kind of stepped it up and, and came into a bit of a form or a good stride against Austin Villa this weekend, winning 3-1. You did see your man KDB back on the pitch. Uh, You guys had a really, really strong roster against Austin Villa, and if that's something that I'll be concerned about, if I see the same thing come out, uh, I may or may not be crossing my toes, my fingers, that Holland's injury is a little bit more severe than it actually is, but I think he'll probably be playing. He came off at the halftime. I think it was precautionary. But the numbers don't look great. Arsenal beat City in the league the last time was December 21st of 2015. And that's when two players by the name of Theo Walcott and Olivier Giroud were both on the squad and they both scored. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is the only player from either team that's still on either team. And this is the only team that Arteta has failed to beat since he took over the Gunners in December of 2019. Kyle, what do you think? Uh, what do I think? Well, I'm going to just preface this whole rant with none of this is going to be fact. This is just what I would like to see happen. So I would like to see a similar lineup to what we put out this weekend. I want to see Foden out there. I want to see Grealish out there. Uh, Grealish has just signed the largest shoe deal in the history of the Premier League at $4 million a year. So you know he's hyped. He's, he's ready to go. He's got those new shoes and the shoe money. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, we're going to need a big game out of him. I'm not convinced Holland is going to get the start, unfortunately. Pep has been messing with me like crazy lately with his starting lineups. I I want to scream at him, but the man knows what he's doing, so I guess I'm wrong here. Um, I think we might want to put one of our best defenders. I would like to see Kyle Walker marking uh, Saka. I would like to see it. Saka has been destroying defenders. I think we got to put Walker on him. Other than that, James's 2-1 prediction is just malarkey. It will never hit. It's just ridiculous. I don't think Holland gets the first. I think Mares is going to be needed. I think he sneaks one into the far post. Holland might get the second if they feed him. That's what this all comes down to is if they feed him. We didn't reference the game this weekend. It was, you know, whatever. Man City won 3-1. to one. We don't even have to get into it. But one of the big Holland moments was when they put a ball over the top. And wouldn't you know it, he got to it and he assisted who is it uh Gundogan yeah he got Gundogan right with a perfect pass so you know that's what you got to do put the ball over the top let him use his biggest attributes that's where I'm just going to leave this yeah I mean I think if we come out and we are able to contain Kevin De Bruyne and kind of um put Holland in the bottleneck and make sure that everything gets fed to him early at the middle of the pitch force him to come back, don't give him the space behind, really shut down his speed and his aggression up there, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. 
you take Col- uh, you take KDB out of there, who's got the most assists in the league, and he hasn't been performing very well in the last couple of games. He's up there with 11 assists. But you know, Martin Udegaard's right behind him, I believe, with seven. Um, I'm sorry, he's he. I'm sorry, I meant Saka is right there with eight, so he's in second. Um, I think. I think my wingers edge yours out a little bit. I think that's where the game is going to be won is on the sides. So I don't know if this game is even going to get won, to be honest. I would predict a one-to-one draw. See, Arsenal's in a position where they don't need to win. If they Mm -hmm. can take two points away from City, that's where it comes in. They just have to hold the top. It's playing defense and offense at the same time. So you get a one-goal lead on us, why continue? Like, not why continue. Always, you know, best defense is a good offense. But that's when you really start playing. You put in the center defensive mids. You start, you know, bringing back Martinelli, bringing back Odegaard, not so far up the pitch. And you play for the tie or, you know, draw no bet. That's what you live for. You know, with the exception of your win this weekend, 3-1, I think Arsenal and, and Man City have actually been playing very similar in style. They have been playing lately a lot of possession and it hasn't had too much pace. I know Man City... As you said, it wasn't like their old Man City. They were slow. Uh, they weren't really using Holland up top with the speed. As of late, Arsenal's kind of fallen into the same category where they're not doing as many penetrating passing. They're bringing it up. The team is, the opponent is able to fall into their own box, create a low block, and we can't penetrate it. So we're having a lot of issues there. So I think if we can get get through that and kind of breach that low block defense that I think you guys will be kind of um, replicating and then just working on a quick counter, because I think that's where you guys will capitalize is on a counter against us. I think we have a shot. Yeah, I think it's going to be – I think this is this is the game to watch, obviously, this week, and this might be one for the for the entirety of the season. I hope it doesn't create like a, a, a nil-nil tie. I'm fine with that, though. Obviously, as you said, you make a great point, Kyle. We don't need the W. We, but I think playing at the Emirates, it, it is kind of a must-win game because the next one is going to be away at you guys. And that's a very difficult game. And I think that that is very likely that you'll pick up three points there. So if we can trade, you know, maybe come to a bit of a truce here. Uh, I get three points now. And then I get three points later, too, because you guys are probably going to be relegated at that point. I think, it will be, <laughs> I think that'll be fair. I would but, love um, to hear what an impartial party has for a prediction for this game. Sean. Yeah, Sean. What do you got for us? Wow, Kyle, thank you so much. You know, I actually hate (laughs) both of your teams. (laughs) I don't know if that's impartial, but um, it's it's going to be a really fun one. This is this is what you start a podcast for, boys. Number one versus number two. It's the you know the two best teams in the league. If you know if the if the season ended today, Arsenal's on top, but it the gap is getting closer and closer. Um, I do understand where you, you know where you're saying that they're both very possession-based teams, but um, it is a very different style uh, between the, the way the two teams have played over the last month. Even you know Arsenal has made the least amount of changes to their starting eleven mm-hmm. um, of any team in the league this year. Fourteen, um, most of those are are as a result of injury. I do want to see Leandro Trossard start this game if I'm an Arsenal I fan. I think Martinelli's not been in great form, and I think. Trossard's guile, his intelligence is probably a little bit better suited for this game. And then, you know, when City gets a little bit tired, you you throw Martinelli on around the 60-minute mark and, you know, let him use his pace and dribbling to take guys on. Um, yeah. but, I agree. But also, I agree. But also going back to just the style of play, Pep's changed the formation for City like three or four different times in their last five games. You know, they went 3-4-2-1 this past weekend. 
Um, they played 4-4-2 against Spurs. It'll, I'm really interested to see what the hell Pep's going to do this week. It's, it, you know, every week it's something different. And in big games, you know, he does have a reputation of kind of overthinking it a little bit and trying to tinker maybe a little bit too much. Um, I do agree with Kyle. I think De Bruyne has got to play. He's got to start. I think you got to have Foden in this game too. Mm-hmm. And then it, it comes down to whether or not he wants to start Grealish or um, Bernardo Silva, depending on you know which way which way he wants to go and, and how he wants to set up for, formation-wise. Um, the two guys I think that you have to highlight are actually Rodri for Man City um, and then Odegaard. That, that battle will be really interesting to me because um, – the way the two teams, Brentford and Everton, have taken points off Arsenal is they double up on the wingers, being Martinelli and Saka, and then they really close down the space for Udegaard. Don't let him really you know, make too many turns or get time to play passes in behind. The one time he did, he set up the goal that that, uh, excuse me, that Trossard scored off the soccer yep. cross. Mm-hmm. Um, but that battle will be really fun to watch. I think you know, if Rodri can assert himself the way he did against Villa this weekend, I think City's going to take this game. Yeah, I mean, it, it. the battles across the board on that pitch are going to be exciting, and it's going to have some crazy atmosphere at the Emirates Stadium. I yeah. mean, that, I think you got to take into heavy consideration that, that Arsenal, we are dying for a win now, and we are dying for a win against Man City. So hopefully we can do it. I, I would say this is a bit of an unpopular opinion, and, and it kind of goes against what I've been saying for the entirety of the season. But I know you're you're a fan of putting Trissard on the left side there for Martinelli. I agree with that. To be honest with you, I would not mind seeing Tamiyasu start on the right side over Ben White either. You know, wow. he's a big body. Uh, I think Ben has is, is been a killer right back. I've said it before. I think he's, he's top tier. I think he's top three, top four of the right backs out there in the EPL right now. But I think he just needs a second. And I think Tamiyasu is it would bring a wow factor. Come in, play aggressive, kind of have a lot of energy off the the bench as long as he's healthy. I would love to see him out there. You know, keep the competitive edge on there. I also think um, we got to watch out for our center backs. I think Gabriel, since the World Cup, has been better than uh, Saliba as of late. He's you know kind of had a, a resurgence as well, being left out of the Brazilian squad. He's had a really really good second half back there after the World Cup. And I think Saliba might be a little bit tired, although he didn't play a lot or at all really during um, the World Cup. He did get one intro in there, a cameo. But I think it's going to be won or lost through our center backs and our and our, our D, really. I think the forwards are going to be flying. I don't think we'll have a problem scoring. I think it's going to be how much can we withstand um, a city attack. James, would you be willing to have a friendly wager on this game? Where the oh, loser boy. will have to cover okay. the entirety of the match next Monday with a smile on their the, face. The loser <laughs> has to cover the entirety of the match. So you're okay talking about Saka scoring twice as a. That'd be fine. That'd and... be fine. Saka gets two, and then I'll overshadow it with Holland's hat trick. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Let's do friendly a wager. friendly wager. All right. Well, I love it. Well, we've talked a lot. We've talked a lot of good things, but I think on the conversation of wager, I think it's a perfect transition to kind of end the podcast. Uh, we have a couple honorable mentions of the games to watch, EPL and Champions League. So the EPL, you're going to want to watch Brighton versus Fulham. That's Saturday on 10 a.m. I think that's going to be a great one. 
another honorable mention is Newcastle versus Liverpool. This one's at St. James Park. Uh, Liverpool coming off of a great win. Newcastle dropping points. That's at 1230. Uh, Man United coming off of a win. But Leicester might have a little bit of a, a momentum swing here. Scoring f- five goals, really. One of them got called off. But that will be at Old Trafford on Sunday at 9. And then for the Champions League, uh, you have PSG versus Bayern on Tuesday, as well as Spurs, AC Milan. Let's see what Spurs are able to do in the Champions League. They might be fooling us all, completely throwing away the EPL and just win the entire Champions League. I think pigs could fly before that happens, but we could see what happens there. And then Wednesday, we have Dortmund versus Chelsea, which I think is going to be a great matchup as well. But back to the wagering. We had Kyle, um, I'm sorry, we had Sean give his second go at the lock, like I said before, and unfortunately, in seven man, you win. It was a draw. So Sean's record is now one and one. My record, one win, one loss. My record is one for one. And Kyle, you're sitting at 0 for one. Who do you got this week? All right, well, let's change that. <laughs> so I wanted to take Man City, but they're playing, they're playing Forest at Forest, and Forest has been one of, if not the hottest team since the break, so I can't touch them. I'm going to go with Arsenal on Saturday. Wednesday. On Saturday, Arsenal Wednesday. will beat Aston Villa at the Emirates. It's going to be a must-win after a brutal, embarrassing loss at the Emirates, so they're going to have to come <laughs> back. I have a lot of faith in them for Saturday. All right. Well, you heard here, they actually have really good odds right now, I think, too, so... Give that a peek. I think they're at on DraftKings. They're at minus one forty, so that's a, a good value for Aston Villa uh, L essentially. But uh, I think we'll be recovering from a win, so we might actually sit a couple guys and just cruise right through the weekend. And I hope you guys cruise right through the weekend. I hope you enjoyed the time here at the EPL State of Mind episode number five. And let's go Gunners. 